I'll open up your Bibles this morning to the 104th Psalm. Psalms 104. Some of the things that I'm sharing with you right now probably sound like I'm sharing something that I've already shared, only I'm sharing it in a slightly different way. That's not by accident. The reality is that we have experienced up and down attendance. I haven't been able to coincide it with the weather or anything else. It's just the reality that we've been facing. From one week to the next, I don't know who I'm going to see out here. Kurt's smiling up at me right now and I'm ready to say something and I'm biting my tongue. No, that's quite all right. Then you disturb everybody else. I'd just soon, I'd just soon have you throw me off a little bit by looking up at me. <laughs> all right. No, the reality of the situation is if I share something on any given Sunday, there are a number of you that would miss it. And so it bears repeating. Now, if you look at the teachings of Jesus, you see that he did repeat himself sometimes, and he would say and teach the same lessons, only slightly different ways. And so that's what I'm attempting to do with these messages. Philippians 1.25, and I didn't have you turn here, but Paul is struggling with the fact that for him to die would be gain, but he knows that to live would be profitable for everybody else. And so he struggles with that, and in the 25th verse, he says, I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith. That is my desire. My desire is that all who are a part of this church would continue to grow in their faith. They would, they would experience joy in their lives, joy that comes from the Lord that he instills within them. And I believe that Fellowshipping with God. Spending time with Him in prayer and hearing Him speak. Meditating upon His Word. Meditating upon who He is. What He is all about. The kind of God that He is. That that is a critical element in everybody's spiritual growth. It is a critical element to help you not to backslide. And we all have that tendency. He wants to work in our lives so that we are continually growing and becoming more and more like Jesus with each passing day. And so we need to form the practice of spending time with him. Sandra Wilson, in her book called in, Into Abba's Arms, quotes Peter Lord's observation. You've heard me talk about Peter Lord before. He is a human instrument that God used uh, many years ago to speak to my heart and teach me about listening to God and hearing God and, and letting him truly communicate with me and me not just pray to him. But he, he's a man that God blessed and blessed many others through his ministry for many years. I was curious to know if he was still alive and so I googled him and discovered that he passed away in 1917, 1917, 2017, boy. 
2017. Oh my, where is my head today? About three years ago. Approximately three years ago, he passed away. He was 91 years of age at the time that the Lord took him home. But his ministry continues on. He said, my experience with our Lord is that when I begin to associate blessings with behavior, like a certain set way of having our devotional times, rather than with him, he ceases to bless that behavior. Then I come back and discover that he, and not my behavior, is the source of all blessings. I share that thought with you because I've titled this message Requirements for Meditation, and I am going to share some specific suggestions, but I don't want you to think that if you don't do it exactly the way I'm teaching you this morning, that you're not going to receive God's blessings in your life. God has a way of speaking to each and every one of us where he needs to. He speaks to us where we need him to. He does it in any way that that he thinks is the best way to help you to understand it. And he will get his message for you across to you as long as you're seeking him. If you're not seeking him, then you're going to have a quiet time. And I don't mean that in a positive way. You're not going to be hearing from God. We need to have a quiet time with God so that we can hear from him. But that's where our thoughts are directed toward him. That's where our desire is that of seeking him and knowing him better, knowing him more intimately. But God is going to work with us and he is going to teach us as he's going to deal with us as individuals and teach us in the best way possible for us to learn. I love that about our God. Because he's got insight into the way we learn greater than we have even ourselves. And he will meet us where we need him to meet us. I had you turn to the 104th Psalm and I want you to look specifically at the 34th verse. May my meditation be pleasing to him as I rejoice in the Lord. That's the thought we want to take off on today. Bow with me for a word of prayer. Father, as I teach about meditation, my prayer is that all of our thoughts today would be directed towards you. And that this time together would be a time of meditation. A time that we can carry with us when we leave here. Something that can help us in our walk with you tomorrow and the next day. Not just something that we get a band-aid put on our lives today, this morning. But something that we can can hang on to throughout the week, throughout the rest of our lives. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. amen. If our meditation is to be pleasing and profitable, then we can't just rush in. We can't jot down one or two prayer requests, quickly pray and then go on to dinner or breakfast or whatever, depending on what time you are spending that time with him. That's not what God wants. He doesn't want to spend a few quick moments with you. He wants us to sit before him. He wants us to spend some quality time with him. 
Meditation is not a spontaneous occurrence. It is something that we, that we work at. You might remember I, I shared with you previously that one of the things that the enemy will try to do is to distract you when you start to pray. And he will direct your thoughts to many different things and things that you need to do and things you need to follow up on. And my simple suggestion there, one that was taught to me many years ago, is to have a paper, a pad with you and, and you just jot down that thought so you don't lose it, but you don't have to dwell on it then. You can deal with it later. It is important that, that, that we learn some basic disciplines that will help us, that we can put into play, that we, we can make as a part of our our plan to know God more intimately so that we can receive the full benefits of getting to know him. So I'm going to share some of those practices with you, not to be legalistic about them, not to say you've got to do it exactly this way, but to give you some ideas that people have found that have helped them over the years. And they just might help you. One of the first things we need to do is to set aside a season of time. Set aside a time that you're going to meet with God. It doesn't have to be first thing in the morning, although that is a very practical time. But a length of time, whether it's five minutes or an hour, is going to depend, quite frankly, on your purpose. Peter Lord wrote a guide, a prayer guide, a devotional guide, if you will, that he called the 2959 plan. God has used that over the years in the lives of thousands of people to teach them how to have a quiet time, how to spend time praying, meditating upon God's word, listening to him. He titled that, that because going through that book should only take you 29 minutes and 59 seconds a day. You got it? In other words, half an hour. That's all it takes. The reality is, if we are in deep distress over something, we're going to spend longer time with him. If we just need to have a way of quieting our spirit down, then it may only take a few minutes. It depends on what's going on in our lives as to how long that time is going to be. You don't have to regiment it for a certain period of time. Because what happens when you regiment it for a certain period of time? You start looking at your clock. Have I spent enough time with him? That's not what it's all about. You spend the time you need to with him, whether it's five minutes, an hour, whatever. In Psalm 62, 5, the psalmist said, Find rest, O my soul, in God alone. My hope comes from him. When we say we don't have time for God we are saying that we don't have time for life, for joy, for peace, for direction, for prosperity, because God is the source of all of these things. He is the source of all of those elements. And the essence of meditation is simply a period of time that is set aside to contemplate the Lord, to listen to him, and to allow him to permeate our spirits. When we do that, something happens. Something happens within our lives that equips us. Equips us to carry out our duties, whether it's as a mother or a clerk or, or a secretary or a mechanic, a truck driver, a teacher, an IT specialist, a law enforcement officer, or a firefighter or whatever. 
doesn't matter. He equips us for our responsibilities. Whatever we do, this time of meditation upon God, His character, His ways, His word, is a time of equipping us for preparation in life. And it is amazing what God can do with a troubled heart. If we're not focusing on our problems, but we're focusing upon Him, in a short period of time, when that person understands what meditation is truly to be all about, and they are focusing upon Him instead of their problems. You see, we live in a hurried and rushed world, and this world is not going to slow down for us. This world has a lot of problems in it. It has a sin nature. We are in an, living in an imperfect world. And this world is not always fair. But we need to learn to slow down and to let our spirit get in tune with God's spirit. Even if our feet keep running. Even if our feet keep running. And this requires some time. Some time with God. I think one of the most important lessons that parents can teach their children is the practical importance of prayer and meditation. When they learn early to listen to God and to obey what he says, when they learn that God is interested in them and what interests them, those are important lessons for them to learn that they can have a personal, intimate relationship with God. And it will give them security like nothing else will. But the only way to teach them this, I believe, is by example. So parents need to set the example themselves. That may mean that you get up a little bit earlier. That may mean that you set aside a time. Now I know... Sometimes it's hard, but you need to find that time. If we're really going to meditate on the Lord, then we must learn to be still. Psalms 46.10 says it well. Be still and know that I am God. We will know God best when we not only set aside time for him, but when we learn to be still before him. You think it's hard for your kids to be still? It's hard for you too, if you're honest. Unless you go numb, and that's not what we're asking you to do. We're asking you to focus your thoughts upon our Lord. Stillness brings us to the point where we can really concentrate. It's difficult. It is difficult to fix our thoughts on God if we're rushing around all the time. If we're always in a hurry. We are too often distracted. And God, we miss God's intervention in our lives. We need to learn to be sensitive before him. And if we haven't learned to be still before him in his presence, then we're going to miss out on a lot. But when we become still before him, we gradually, gradually, the competing elements in this world fade away. And God's benevolent goodness, greatness, and grace come to the forefront of our minds and our problems begin to 
begin to diminish. The second thing I would recommend to you is to find a place of seclusion. Now that may be hard. For some people it means they've got to spend a little more time in the bathroom than they normally would. Because it's the only place where people would leave them alone. Well, if that's the case, then do it. For some, it is getting up a little bit earlier than everybody else in the household so they can spend a little bit of time getting themselves centered at the beginning of the day. Mark wrote of Jesus in Mark 1.35, Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. If Jesus felt this was necessary, if he felt it was necessary to leave the twelve and to seclude himself before God, then shouldn't we follow his example and make, make a place, make provisions for this kind of solitude, this kind of seclusion with the Lord? I think God wants us to be alone with him sometimes because he wants our absolute undivided attention. And if we're trying to do it with everything else, the chaos in our lives, he's not going to have our undivided attention. For an example, imagine if your spouse was always with other people, say four or five other people, 24 hours a day. How long would it take you before you got irritated with that? How long would you put up with that kind of thing before you got annoyed? God wants to have some private time with you, some one-on-one time with you. When I'm talking of couples, I tell them they need to have some knee-knocking time. It means they're facing one another, their knees are knocking together, so they are communicating with one another. We need knee-knocking time with God. We need that intimate time with Him so that we can sense Him putting His loving arms around us and pulling us in close to Him. Another element that we need is silence. I'm looking at my notes and they don't make sense because I'm going one, two, four, five. How I did that, I don't know because there's only four points. New numbering system, I guess. I want to drive this point home. If you haven't gotten it yet, it bears repeating. God doesn't expect you to do all the talking. In fact, he does not want you to do all the talking. Listen to Isaiah chapter 30, verse 15. This is what the sovereign Lord, the Holy One of Israel says, in repentance and rest is your salvation. In quietness and trust is your strength. But you would have none of it. But you would have none of it. We shoot ourselves in the foot when we do not have that time of silence before the Lord. For some people, meditation is best described as a one-way conversation. <laughs> but the problem is, if they're doing all the talking, they have no real relationship with God. So it's got to go beyond that. To have God speak to your heart is majestic. It is a majestic experience. And it is an experience that you will miss if you monopolize the time talking with him. We need to pause. It is to be a time of intimacy with him 
where we're both listening as well as talking. We're sharing, but then we're listening. That's what I've been trying to emphasize, trying to drive home. If we quiet ourselves before the Lord, then God can interject his thoughts into our thinking. He can speak to our hearts as well as our minds if we're silent for a few moments. He may bring a favorite scripture to mind. He may reveal some absorbing truth. He may bring inner peace to our inner self. He may do all of that. But we need to sit before him in silence and allow him to pour himself into us. Focusing all of our thoughts upon him, not on our problems. God may not speak to us audibly, but as we're silent before him, he will, his spirit will impress his thoughts to our spirit. And he will impress his thoughts upon our mind. We will know that God has spoken. The fourth thing is where we get into trouble. We need self-control. And when it comes to setting time for the Lord, and spending it in silence and seclusion, we have a trouble with self-control. When we, may, when we meditate, we may feel like nothing's happening. You know, but just because we can't detect God functioning directly doesn't mean that God's not at work. It's where the faith element comes in. Paul had to learn to keep his body under control. Uh, every believer should consider this a necessary discipline. In 1 Corinthians 9.27, Paul says, No, I beat my body and make it a slave, so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. He's not talking about his salvation, but he's talking about some of the rewards that might be there if he is who God wants him to be, and if he is in that relationship as he should be. As we begin to meditate, we, we will more than likely labor mentally a bit. As we try to focus our attention upon God, there will be so many other things that will enter into our thought patterns that try to distract us from thinking about God. And if that's a problem, then perhaps we need to turn to one of the Psalms and, and basically say, Lord, I'm having a hard time keeping my mind on the subject at hand that I need to talk with you about. And I want to get immersed. I want to get immersed in your word. I want to get immersed in this Psalm that I'm looking at. I need to get my focus upon you, Lord. Help me. I believe if you read through one of the Psalms and that with that thought in mind, that after a few moments, you can stop reading and begin reflecting on what God is trying to say to you. As you become lost in your thoughts about your great God, there is nothing that is more rewarding or productive. Proverbs 8.34 is an important one. It says, Blessed is the man who listens to me, watching daily at my doors, waiting at my doorway. 
this indicates that we must take deliberate steps each day to bring our minds and our bodies and our lives under control so that we can spend some time, some time waiting and listening for God to speak. Some people will find that certain postures help them. You know, they aid in the practice. I, I described to you last week that sitting before the Lord meant for them kneeling before him, leaning back upon your heels. If that's what you need to do in order to focus your thoughts on him, then do it by all means. I simply want you to, to discover the posture that you need to take before the Lord where you can focus your full attention upon him, something that you are comfortable with that will help you to, so that God is at the forefront of your thoughts and stays there. See, God is more interested in the position of our hearts than he is the position of our body. So I don't declare that you have to do that. And I'll be honest with you, I don't do it. More often than not, I am sitting in a chair, Bible opened in front of me, and I'm spending time conversing with God. With that kind of... Because that's the way I speak to most people. We're sitting down across from one another, talking with one another. Sandra Wilson shares that she will often pull up a chair directly in front of her and she'll put a picture of Jesus. And she shared one of the pictures that I'd never seen before, trying to get a copy of it myself. But it was something that helped her to realize that Jesus was indeed right there with her. I know that one of the practices that I started when I was in my late teenage, maybe early 20s, was imagining in my mind God right there in the room, directly across from me. I didn't literally see him, but in my mind's eye, he was there. And it helped me to realize the truth that he was indeed right there in the room with me. And I just started talking with him. Talking with him, I'm not, sometimes public prayers are almost scripted, even though we as Baptists don't believe in scripted prayers. It's amazing how our prayers are so often similar. But when you're just talking, it goes everywhere and anywhere. It goes where your needs are. It goes to where he is. Many times I have my Bible and my notebook with me, but I have also found it beneficial to have a devotional book. It helps me to stay centered. It helps me to have my thoughts directed toward God. And I encourage you, whatever you need to do, do it. There are many people that have adopted Bible reading plans They'll take them through scripture in a certain period of time, usually about a year. There's a danger with that. It's good to get familiar with scripture. But there is a danger that you get so entrapped in, well, I've got to get this much reading done today. And that's all you're focused on is reading. I think we need to take it at a slower pace many times where we read a little bit and we reflect upon what God might be saying to us in that passage. 
When you dialogue with somebody, you don't dialogue with them for a certain amount of time. You just start talking and then you listen a little bit and then you talk a little bit more. Take that time with him. God's not concerned so much with the quantity of scripture that you read. He's trying to get a thought across to you, a message across to you. It may be discipline, it may be comforting, it may be, who knows, whatever the need is. He wants to speak to you. I like what Rick Warren says. He said, everything you do can be spending time with God if he is invited to be a part of it and you stay aware of his presence. He goes on to say, you can't love God unless you know him and you can't know him without knowing his word. But then he made a very wise statement. He said, while you cannot spend all day studying the Bible, you can think about it throughout the day, recalling verses that you have read or memorized and mulling them over in your mind. A simple definition of meditation is that it is just focused thinking, focused upon the Lord. If you know how to, how to worry, you already know how to meditate. Just think about that for a moment. All you need to do is to switch your attention from your problems to the scripture, to the word of God, and reflect upon those things. I lied to you. There is one more point. James 4.10 says, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. We need to have submissive spirits before him. We need to be in submission. If we are rebellious in our hearts, if we are insisting upon having our way, then we're not going to meditate. Rebellion is the antithesis of submission. And if we're going to hear him adequately, we need to have our minds and our hearts totally surrendered to him. That is vital to be totally yield to him if we're going to hear what he has to say. Rick Warren points out that when you fully surrender your life to God, you benefit. First you experience peace, next you experience freedom, finally you experience God's power in your life. You see, victory comes through surrender. Surrender doesn't weaken you, it strengthens you. Surrender to God, and you don't have to fear or surrender to anything else. When we refuse to deal with a problem that God has pinpointed in our lives, we don't lose our standing before him. Jesus has already secured that. But we do lose the joy of fellowship with him. We lose the joy of our salvation. Perhaps one of the main reasons that we don't spend enough time with God is that we don't want to face the music that he's sending our way. Possibly. There's a song that says, give up, surrender, yield. Let me love you to the maximum of my potential so that you will reach the maximum of your potential. Spend some time with God so that you can get to know him and you can get to know yourself. Spend some time with him 
so that you can feel a release from the problems in your life as you focus on his greatness. You may not understand why those problems are there, but you know God is greater than those problems. He will take care of you. He will see you through it. Let's pray. Father, as we get honest with ourselves and with you, we discover so many things that have interfered with our relationship with you. Help us to see ourselves the way that you see us. If we are down on ourselves, help us to realize that when you look at us, you see Jesus. If we're thinking too highly of ourselves, help us to realize that God doesn't like that. We need to humble ourselves before you. Surrendering ourselves over to you. Laying our bodies on your altar as a living sacrifice. Because we know that that is wholly acceptable before you. And that if we are going to be more like Jesus, we need to be in total submission to you. So help us to learn what surrender is and to realize that when we surrender to you, we don't have to fear anybody or anything that comes our way because you are greater than all things and all people. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.